I've, I've got like three drinks now. I may have overdone this, but then again, it's a long podcast, so maybe I haven't overdone it. Maybe this is just just what I'll need. I I had two pints just before we started recording, so <laughs> I'm sure. So, I'm sure. so unwise. You're, you're, you're the opposite of Gandalf. You're like a you're a fucking <laughs> idiot child. <laughs> yeah, Gandalf the idiot child. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're like some sort of like you're just some sort of like caveman that's like need water, glug water, and then like oh podcast now sad, like no no drink, ability like, to plan. I have always drunk quickly. Um, this was just because I had a I had a glass of water and a multivitamin tablet, and I hadn't touched either. And you know when you like 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 it's going somewhere, but you know when you're like, oh, I've not I've not drunk that drink, and you just kind of well the multivit I just down anyway to try and you know to mm. get it done. Um, but the yeah the water I just yeah I I, I, I think I how do you yeah. find it the multivitamin thing? Because Nadia gave me multivitamin recently, and it made my pee go neon, and I didn't like it. <laughs> but that's upsetting. a good thing though. Because the, I think that I believe that, yeah. Because the the pee is. So what happens is your body will only ever absorb the vitamins it needs. So the leftover vitamins come out in the in the in the weird neon pee. Oh, I see. Well, that makes a lot of sense because yeah. I I take vitamins anyway. Like I take specific ones. But Nadia gave me a multivitamin, and I was like, I don't know, I don't think I need this. Uh, but I took it anyway. And then yeah, neon pee it was very strange. Yeah, I think if you're if you're already taking vitamins, you probably don't need a, a multivitamin. Yeah, I, I think I, it, it was it was one of those things where she was like, "Oh, this has other stuff in it you might need," and I was like, oh, "I'm already taking these yeah. ones. I'd have to ru- I'd have to st- I'd have to run out of the individual ones and switch to the multi. I wouldn't." Yeah, her idea of me taking both was I I thought was excessive, but I've learned something new. Yeah, I didn't yeah, realize uh, that that was the un. It absorbed vitamins coming back out. <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, yeah. This is I a be- weird conversation. <laughs> is this I, in the podcast? I believe so. Yeah. Is this how we're introducing I think this people is to in. the two towers? Yeah. Roll the roll the titles. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Roll the titles. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a completely normal podcast called Rewind Reviews, where we talk about movies and not pee. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do you ever have about... an out-of-body experience with this podcast, Chris, where you sort of you step out of yourself, see what you're doing, and go, "No, no, no, stop it!" And like you just your mouth just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, many, many a time. Like you'll regret but this I... later. I'm not. Look, I'm not ashamed to have discussed my vitamin and neon pee-based habits, but I, I do think this isn't necessarily the correct forum. Is that that's where the shame is? The shame is the cho- moment I've chosen to have the conversation. Yeah, yeah. I've just double checked that I, I am right. So yeah, the the neon color pee is just a harmless sign that you are taking more vitamins than your body needs, and the excess is mi- mixing in with your pee. Yeah, so I was right. Great. Cool. Yeah. Well, there you go. One of the best on another podcast, and it's such a such a uh, such a vivid description that I keep. You know, sometimes someone says something, you just keep thinking about it and keep laughing about it. Mm. We really need to move away from urine after this. Um, but on the Wolf and Owl podcast, Romy Frank and Nathan said the he said something like it was something. And I'm probably not going to get this right, so apologies. But it was something like. Yeah, so often I just find that I'm not drinking enough, and then I go to piss at the end of the day, and it's just like marmalade. <laughs> it's just oh such a. 
<laughs> Such a vivid oh, image. <laughs> that just really, really made me laugh. Do you remember when this podcast was about reviewing movies? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, look. We discussed, we discussed our, we discussed our history with the uh, the franchise as a whole. So, so we we don't need to discuss history. Although, to recap, I saw this film, spent most of it waiting to 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 hold a girl's hand. Uh, and then backed out when the battle started because I didn't want to look scared. Although that's weird because there's quite a lot of stuff after the battle as well <laughs> on reflection. Yes. Um, but there we go. Yeah, um, so, what some did of that you, might be let's... the extended cut, though, to be fair. You saw it in the cinema, didn't you? Yeah, and then so for people... So go back, listen to our review of The Fellowship of the Rings uh, mm-hmm. to hear about our experience with the franchise. Obviously, you know, we, we recommend the whole franchise i don't think yes. we need to you know state that so yeah, let's go I, right into one thing i do want to say yeah. though we probably didn't say up front last week or maybe we did we are by no means tolkien scholars we're going to mispronounce things we're going to mislabel things um oh yeah it's it's it's, it's 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 uh it, it, you know I, I enjoy these movies but i am not um an in-depth studier of the law of the world of lord of the rings so um i will get things wrong and quite frankly, if you've got you know if if you've got something you really want to get off your chest that I've gotten wrong, and you really want to make sure I see the message and understand, um, feel free to post it where I will thoroughly ignore it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> PO box. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, no, I'm fine for any corrections. Um, throw them down. But like, I, yeah, I, there's nothing I can do about it. I, my my knowledge on it is limited, so I, we will get stuff. Yeah, on. same. This. It is not a franchise um, we we know particularly well or are scholars in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so let's let's dive right into to spoilers and thoughts, Dan. What did you what did you think when rewatching Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers Extended Edition? I thought that's a bloody middle movie, isn't it? It really is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's structurally look. It's a, just to clarify, it's a good movie, really good movie, in fact, a great movie. In fact, let me let me not let me not put too fine a point on that. But it structurally, it just isn't really anything. Like the, the at the end of this movie, we've achieved so little for the goals of any of these characters. And while I have an absolute blast watching this movie, and a bunch of stuff happens, it has its own. Basically, it's the middle part of a trilogy where it just sets up its own problems and then solves them instead of really doing much for the overall problems. Is that fair? My, my big, my yeah, my big example of that. <laughs> Is Aragon's fake out death? <laughs> like, yeah, where, yeah. Where it's like Aragon's died. Oh no, he's he's not. And then he just rejoins them. <laughs> like, and yeah, I guess now, I thought about this. Like, I was I because I, I made a note about this. I've got. I think I know why this happens story wise. Well, he spots that he spots that the army's coming, and he yes. tells them about it. And but that could have been done another way. And obviously, you know, you don't know. You know, you want to be loyal to the books and stuff. But I, that, that for me is a good example of what you're talking about. Yeah. It's just yeah, like, yeah. It's like it's it's okay. stuff happening to be things that happen in this movie and make yeah, this story even, a like, story. This is- there's this huge epic battle, and literally at the end, and I like you really enjoyed it. Would yeah, yeah. it's a really great movie. But there's this huge epic battle, and then at the end of it, basically Gandalf and everyone are looking at a bunch of trees, and Gandalf goes, "Well, an even bigger battle coming up in there." <laughs> like, like, this is okay. only the start, some might say. Yeah, the war for Middle Earth. I have a genuine question, Chris. Yeah. If somebody watched one. And then skip to three. With the exception of Mary Pippin in the trees, would anything be different? 
Uh, well, Gollum. Yes, you're right. You're right. Yes, introduction of Gollum. You're right. You're right. Yeah, there's there's Gollum, um, and there's there's all that stuff, and it it, it is funny though, isn't it? Because it, I really think it is the latter because uh, latter portion of the movie. Because in the beginning, I was really impressed by how they just hit the ground running. Like we get Gollum really quickly. It just it's like really piffy at the beginning. Mm. Um, and then just kind of towards the end gets a bit more and I think maybe it is literally the middle, like middle of middle, like the middle of the middle film. There's just a bit of meandering they, it, somewhere in the center of this movie. Maybe this could have been true. Maybe this is the only, this is probably the only of these three movies I'm going to feel like this is tr- true of, but this is probably the one we could have had a little bit less of. Yeah, I think so. And I think, but also the challenge to be fair is also they've got, they've got a shitload and you know, again, this is, you know, probably the stories the books but you've got we didn't particularly there are some characters and we praised it for this it's not criticism but there are some characters in the fellowship fellowship of the ring that are introduced but not necessarily firmly established and i think you kind of go into this movie going let's see them a bit more but then the the story because of the story we have to introduce a whole load of other new characters and that in a way makes it feel bulkier it makes it yeah, feel longer like because my other them, big right overriding what, thought some of them what are the point of like aragon's new love interest what's her purpose yeah i don't and understand. i get, i really she, hope in, in a book i'm sure she in the book i'm sure she has plenty of purpose beyond just that but in the course of a movie that's that's a that's a character you could cut just no thank you you don't need to be here you don't add anything to anything yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And I, because my other my other big overriding thought watching this film is <laughs> is man, when does Legless start doing stuff? <laughs> like him and Grimley have some fun stuff in this movie. But I, my I, honestly, memory, they, I love their relationship. Their interaction, yeah, it's brilliant. And the, it's and, brilliant, and also but... in the combat stuff, particularly Legless is so fun to watch. Like the bit in this movie when he skateboards down some stairs on a shield. Arrowing it's people as he does it. Think... Like Hawkeye. But... Hey, Hawkeye. Psh. Oops. Yeah, come here, come here. Right. First of all, fix your shit haircut. Second of all, be good. Be like this guy. This guy's good. But I remember, but I just remember it, like, Orlando Bloom in that role feeling so iconic when we were young. And you watch yes. it back and go, there's some great moments, but on the whole. He's Legless and Grimley aren't doing as aren't getting as much weight as the the entirety of the rest of the fellowship. And I'm no. kind of like I say, I'm like, does that does that come in Return of the King? I, Can, I can't remember. I, I, I can't remember either. But would I have a counterpoint though? In the yeah. Harry Potter movies, take a shot if you're a listener of Analyzing Avatar because we're referencing Harry Potter. We've just got to hit Doctor Who. <laughs> we've 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 hit the trifecta. Um, uh, the you know, in the Harry Potter movies, well, just to keep it movie to movie to make the analogy simpler, there are plenty of superfluous characters that don't really ever add to the plot, but they're present because they add colour and add to the gang and they're part of the gang. Like, Fred and George Weasley don't really have deep plots in the Harry Potter movies, but they're always there. They're always involved no, they're not in the as, They're not as... They're not as part of the gang as Legless and Grimley. Do you know what I mean? The, Ron, yeah. Hermione, and Harry, and arguably Dumbledore and Hagrid are the gang. They're they're the actual gang. And later, you could make mm, no. I'm not going to give you Ginny later, even. Um, Ginny is technically, but in terms of the story that is told, she's not necessarily part of the gang. She's not in the forest in the seventh book, etc. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. I take your point. But I think it's more like <clears throat> Doctor Who, if they <laughs> have the Doctor and three companions, it's more comparable to, like, um, you know, Ryan not really getting used in the right. Jodie yeah. Whittaker so, years. So for, for non Doctor Who fans, in the more recent seasons, they had um, they had instead of the Doctor traveling with one person, as he has mostly done in the new series, he traveled with a, with a team of three. Um, it's it's always varied over the years. This isn't a new idea, but like there was a particular run recently where the Doctor traveled with three companions, one of which called Ryan, um, basically stood around and unfortunately just. Just no fault of the actor, but the way he was written, he just looked gormless because he just was always stood there, never having much to contribute. <laughs> it's very strange. I, I, actually, I think the the other the the for for me at least a stronger counter in a way is actually the okay. Say say there's more legless in the book, and actually they put that in this film. Are we just going to be sat here doing exactly what we've just done? Because I completely agree with you about the the new love interests for Aragon Aragon I'm sorry mm-hmm. if I'm saying that wrong I like um, that you took uh, the, I like that you took the t- the time to to get Aragon right but you've you've been calling Gimli Grimly all all morning which I'm enjoying I'm enjoying Grimly yeah. cuz I to me Grimly is like the dark shadow world counterpart of Gimli like you know if there's like a mirror universe where everyone's evil and has like a mustache <laughs> Gimli's evil twin is called Grimly someone's Someone's just been binging Stranger Things. Um, the... <laughs> I mean, yes, but unrelated. I feel. I think I. I say, do we, when, as I was saying that, I said, "Oh, there's an evil version of you with a mustache." I was thinking very much of Star Trek, but yeah, carry on. I'd love it if later on you were like, "I think what that scene really needed was Kate Bush." Um, if we'd have had Kate Bush in that scene, um, the no, no, yes, yeah, so would... Metallica, please. Thank you. Let's not. <laughs> I haven't got that far yet. I haven't seen the final. I haven't seen the. I haven't seen the final two episodes because, in fact, the final three. I think partly because I've got to. I've got to. You know, free up an entire day for the final episode because um, it's it's nearly as long as this. It's but anyway. It's two and a half hours long. I think it's nuts. So, but you, you know what you I mean. Know what I the think thing is about going... that all season. The episodes are about an hour and ten and out to an hour and thirty. That final one. Couldn't that have just been two? You've got nine episodes. Yeah. Make, make that one two. I don't know why they've done it that way. It's because, because uh, and we will be uh, potentially around a similar time to this airs, actually. Uh, there's potentially an episode of Nothing But Static where we've reviewed Stranger Things, The Boys and, and Westworld. Um, and so we'll talk more about that there. But I slightly feel, and I'm not even I'm not even judging them for it, I slightly feel like they're drunk on their own power. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're like, they're the those true... Bloody, those bloody Duffer brothers, just drunk on power. <laughs> they're literally like... What are you going to do this year, boys? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make you change the Netflix ident for the beginning. Uh, okay. Um, and we're going to send Kate Bush and Metallica to number one in the charts. Uh, I, um, Did Metallica oh, go to yeah, number sure. one in the charts? <laughs> huh? Did Metallica go to number one in the charts? I'm pretty sure. Or they charted high. Hold on. Metallica... I mean, look, it's a great <laughs> song. It's, uh, I'd be very thrilled if that was true. I just... I, 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 th- I thought there was like a like a real world bias that had gone on where Kate Bush is in the show and gets, you know, hits number one for the first time ever, that song. And then they did the same thing with Metallica in the second part and no one cared, <laughs> except for me, who really enjoys that song. 
No, <laughs> at, at, at the time, so Master of Puppets has re-entered, re-entered the charts. So there at the time go. of writing, it was number six on both the US and the UK Jesus top Christ. fifty playlists on Spotify. <laughs> That's amazing. Give it, give him credit. Anyway, yeah. back to back to this film. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know. So I, I, I think we'd be go- to finish my point. I think we'd be going. The legless thing is great, but it's not moving the story forward. So to right. be fair, they've made choices. You know the 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 dwarf dude, uh, Grim- Gimli, G- Gimli, Gimli. Uh, G- Gimli and Legless's relationship and banter. Uh, I hate using the word banter, but all of that drives the story forward and is in scenes that is driving the story and, forward. And in, so. in the, you know what it does mostly? It endears you to those two characters so you care that they survive. Because at the end of the day, with a movie like this, with a large cast, one of the reasons you have an expansive cast in a movie like this is, one, you like, you, you're like you pushing the idea that all of, you know, representative from each major race on the face of Middle Earth has come together to solve this problem, right? That's number one. But number two, and the real reason you do this, is you need an expansive cast so that when there's an action set piece happening, you've got multiple perspectives across a large battle, right? You you can see what different people are doing across it. And if you've only got your Frodo and, and your Aragorn, basically you've only got two POVs you're really going to, right? So you need a big group. You need some supplemental characters to do that. So all you really need to do to make those characters serve that function is make me care about them so that when they're in situations of danger, I, I it matters to me that they get out alive, right? That's, that's it. Mm. And I cannot tell you how much my highlight of this movie is Legolas and Gimli. <laughs> and I remembered them having a good fun relationship. But, mate, uh, would you like me to get you a box? I nearly wet myself. I nearly spat my drink out, I think, when he said that one. I didn't expect that one. The one that I always remember, and it is very good, is the uh, is the is the counting the dead. The counting as their, their, their kills. Um, because that's just, again, a very iconic moment from this movie. They're, for those who don't remember, as they're in the final battle, they're yelling out the number of people they kill as they kill them. He's like, 21! <laughs> 22! And then but at the end... That's, it's a long battle. Like, we... Like, I swear we saw scenes where they killed more than 42 people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> very possible. Like, are they just injured in those cities? Are they just injuring people? Like, it was such a low number considering yeah. the action. <laughs> Like, I'd have to go back and point... check. I'd... If someone there's knows the answer to that G- question, because that's a great question, put it in the comments below. I'd be very curious. There's a point where Gimli and Aragorn are just beating the shit out of people on a bridge. And, like, seemingly, the, do you know what I mean? The bridge is a constant stream of people. So when they said the numbers, I was like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, maybe it's, like, <laughs> specific, like, individual kills at their own hands, maybe. But, but obviously that all culminates in the brilliant moment where... <laughs> Where Gimli sat on a guy uh, who's got who's got Gimli's axe firmly planted in his head, Legolas <laughs> arrows him and he twitches, and Legolas is like you know forty four or whatever, and Gimli's like this one doesn't count. He was already dead. Legolas is like he twitched. He's like yeah, he twitched because he has my axe embedded in his skull. <laughs> like I win. No, um, it's just so much fun to watch those two talk to each other. It, yes. Like honestly, like give me a, an odd couple style sitcom. With these two having to share a like a hut together, and one of them's really messy and one of them's really tidy. <laughs> I look forward to Peter Jackson making three movies out of that premise. Uh, <laughs> it's so good though. I like. I genuinely like. I like. I I know I sound very like overly enthusiastic for something that's such a small part of the movie, but I cannot tell you how much this movie needed that levity because everyone else's yeah. plots are really heavy, and it brought me a great deal of joy because I my memory is that this movie was dour comparatively to Fellowship. 
because Fellowship has tons of little jokes, you know, with, you know, Mary and Pip and Sam and, you know, running around being funny and, like, you know, when things are a little bit like before they really set off on their journey, there's a ton of jokes. And then, of course, you've got Legolas and and and, and, and Grimly. <laughs> um, Gimli. And, and I think, you know, seeing... Seeing those two here is, is genuinely like be that is so important to this film functioning. I think, and um, I'm very glad that they did it in the in the way that they did it's, it. I thought it was handled beautifully. The, I agree with that. The film in general, I thought, was funnier than I remembered. Um, mm. The tree stuff, like, <laughs> so have you made a decision? We've decided you're not orcs. <laughs> yes. Okay. Have you have you made a decision so about so about whether you're joining the war? <laughs> I, I just, I've got to assume that's in the original book. I don't recall. Um, and again, for listeners who jumped in on this one and haven't listened to the first episodes, I don't know. I have read the books, but it was a very, very long time ago for the Lord of the Rings ones. And I didn't particularly care for it. It was a bit of a slog. I found them a bit too sort of bogged down in the lore and the world um, that I couldn't really engage with the characters and story as I wanted to. Um, that might just be young Dan being a prick. That might not actually be the reality of those books. Maybe I'll reread them at some point in the future. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've got to assume the idea of that comes from the book. The idea that the, a tree, of course, a tree does not make a decision quickly. It's a tree. <laughs> like, that's kind of so so genius, but so simple. Like, there's a brilliance to that that's like, you smack yourself on the head like, yeah, of course. Of course the trees can't fucking decide anything. <laughs> like, they're trees. They take them a hundred years to decide if they want to get up for breakfast. Like, and that makes perfect sense. They're these everlasting, you know, these these things that live for hundreds of years. They're there. They're there before we're born. They'll be there long after we're dead. And yeah, you know, here we are. So uh, that's probably from the book, but the execution of it here is so good. It's, uh, yeah, again, the levity that this movie has is really important. I'll shut up about the comedy. Yeah, it's very but funny. But that's got me very excited about that. I had a really good time for that, for that mostly that reason. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and it, like you say, all of that stuff adds adds levity to what is otherwise um, quite a uh, quite a dramatic uh, dramatic film. Mm. What were do you, what, how do you think the action and the effects holds up? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, I'll 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 give a sort of short answer for myself, and then I'll because I I spoke a lot about the comedy there, so it'll be it's really your turn to do some talking at length. But um, the uh the, the for me I I'll be honest with you, the special effects mostly hold up. The problem I think is the compositing. So Gollum in a vacuum looks surprisingly convincing for the era and he moves in a very convincing way and obviously performed wonderfully by Andy Serkis we'll get more onto that later but it's when he's in a shot that's a real set with Sam and Frodo and he doesn't quite look like he's there and I know that's what's even funnier about that is he was there Andy Serkis was on set but once you sort of paste the digital image over they just I don't think they've I don't think the the lighting technology was as good back then I think that's the problem. So creating uh, for the CGI creature lighting that matches what's hitting Frodo and Sam so or the background so he doesn't stand out in a weird way. I just don't think they were quite there yet. Technology just hadn't 
artificially manufactured light in, in a way that you can do it these days where they literally hit a few keys on the keyboard and they can create a light source that matches the one in the frame and like move it around so the shadows match and you know there's, there's technology and ai that actually does a lot of that work now um they just didn't have that back then so it's no one's fault but yeah i didn't i did think that um some of the compositing was 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 wonky but um otherwise i think the movie mostly holds up special effects wise i don't know how did how did you feel because there's so much more than golem obviously to the movie special effects wise so yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's funny because I can't remember specific scenes. I agree with you. I think it, in general it, it holds up well. There are some... It's kind of like... And I think a lot of the wide stuff looks spectacular. Like the fight still looks amazing um, yes. and still looks brilliant. It's, it's when sometimes we'll get a close-up and like you say, it will almost feel like it's a compositing thing. You'll almost go, was that person there? Or it suddenly just looks jarring. And looks yeah. like I remember one. There's a scene. I think it was riding on a horse or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone was on a horse, and it just looked a bit like off. Um, but I'm, apologies because I can't remember specific examples. But I just remember sometimes there were moments where it's like, oh, you can tell it's a it's an older film. But actually, I think in the main, it doesn't jar. It doesn't, you know, some of the orcs maybe look a bit odd. Um, they they just suddenly, like you say, sometimes they look incredibly real. And other times you go, oh, no, that's that's 100% a CG creature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think the one thing, benefit this movie has over the subsequent Hobbit films is uh, Peter Jackson kind of made the call for the Hobbit movies where he went, oh, CGI is good enough now. We can have CGI orcs. And I actually think, ironically, the 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 orcs in these movies are, I'd say, like ninety percent people in makeup. Um, I think that I, the, don't get me wrong, there must be CGI orcs all over the place. But all the hero shots, in quote marks, so all the orcs that get like proper close ups and you know, you know, get to interact directly with our heroes and stuff, they're all people in makeup, and they look amazing, like genuinely horrendous like on purpose like they made them eat like a black licorice mixture to give their the inside of their mouths that black look absolutely gross but perfect for an orc so they went to a lot of trouble to do them practically but when it's the wider shots and there's lots of them and they're therefore cgi that's i think when you get more cgi orcs and i do think yeah there is some (laughs) again i think it's the i reckon those assets in a vacuum look really good i just think once you slap them into the frame i just ah, yeah i think i think it must be the lighting that's the only thing i can think of that doesn't really like they just can't light them exactly the way the real elements of the image are lit so they stand out against the backgrounds i think that's that's the only thing that can sort of i can think of um because they they have a real weight to them which is usually my big problem with cgi when it's done badly is the lack of weight to the thing so like you know uh, i recent jurassic world movie there's a shot at the end of really important shot that's supposed to tug at your heartstrings of a dinosaur. And the whole time I was just going like, what is he just floating there? It doesn't look like he stood on this ground. The grass isn't even compressing under the dinosaur's feet. Like, did nobody put any effort into this? It's just floating through this shot. Like, who did this? You know, and it's, you know, that's the kind of thing that's like really takes me out normally. Um, And in this, I felt, I was very impressed that the characters all had weight to them. None of them felt floaty. Um, which is often a problem, but yeah, it was in- instead it was just the matching. I don't know why. I thought, I thought as well, and this might be controversial because I could see someone going, "Really, you can't name bad CGI, and you're naming that as good CGI?" I'll be honest. I thought the trees held up. 
The trees look really good. Yeah, I agree. Like, <laughs> Treebeard looks brilliant. Like, <laughs> I 100% yeah, agree. When Treebeard gets to, like, Isengard, sees the damage that, 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 that Sauron has done to the, the local forestry, and he sort of pulls back and screams for the other trees, that shot is just epic. Like, the pose he's doing, he suddenly looks powerful rather than doddery so it's animated really well and communicates something but it just looks great like it does like this is a living tree magic is real they hired a living tree chris i'm glad you brought up that moment because i have a question about that moment right my interpretation is pippin is doing that deliberately pippin knows that they've been destroying the area and if they go that way (laughs) he'll see it and it will make the difference that's my interpretation, though, because they don't sort of... You have Mary kind of going, what are you doing? This is a bad idea. And he's like, no, 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 it's not. But you don't have the, this was my plan all along moment. You don't right. have the payoff of that. And I thought that was really odd. I was yeah, like, what's well, the plan he did he do it deliberately? Or did he, he doesn't not? tell Treebid that we're going to go look at the damage so you can get angry. He says something to Treebid like, you know, Saruman's army is distracted. They're busy. Take us past Isengard, and we'll we'll do we'll you know and leave us to it. We're we're gonna keep fighting even if you're not. You know, maybe uh, there's a part of me that wonders if that was genuinely his plan and he didn't think it through. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, and that that kind of annoys me because I like the moment of him. I like the idea that he's worked that out and come up with that plan. Like, and so it's odd to me that they don't pay that off. And and it like you, it left me going, oh, was that deliberate or was it not? Maybe not then. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. But so again, I'm not. I'm going to keep. I'm, I'm just going to spend this entire podcast, Chris, telling people to comment because why not? <laughs> Everyone comment. YouTube.com/slash/nothingbutstatic. Give us a comment. I want to know if you think it was on purpose or not. Throw yeah. it down below, dear listeners. I want to hear. Yeah. What do you think? I'm not sure. I don't know the, the answer. I don't know the answer. Could be either. Because you... you're right. He has a kind of knowing look, right? Because 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 it's Mary's like. What are you doing? Oh no, I get those two mixed up. Which one's which? I think Pip- Pippin is the one that Pippin's really not Dominic Monaghan. I think Dominic Monaghan's Mary. I think right, right. So yeah, so I, I think Mary potentially could know what he's doing because he's but Pip's like, what are you up to? And he's like, I just trust me, I've got a plan. Like he he makes it sound like he's got a plan, but yeah, you're right. They never actually say. Comments comments down below, dear listeners. Yeah, because you um, want what I wanted was Mary going. Mary going, oh, fair play. Great, good one. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, in general, how did we, so the, the movie splits up our, we, well, the previous movie splits up our gang. So this movie has to balance feeling cohesive with essentially three major plot areas that we're visiting. Um, how do you think the movie balanced that stuff for you? It's really tricky because the movie makes a commitment to balancing it until the battle and then we spend a lot of time at the battle of helm's deep Mm -hmm. and i can't decide whether one of the reasons this movie feels so much longer than the first movie is because in moments like that you're sat there going where's what's going on with frodo and and sam especially they cut a few times for the kind of and there's great comedic moments when they cut to Mary Pippin and, and the trees. 
but and then obviously the trees get involved in a separate battle and mm. and so that happens alongside it but frodo and frodo and sam in particular we don't go to it feels like at least we don't go to for quite a while and part of me made was going where are those two guys but then there's also a part of me going it would lessen the tension and the action of that battle if we kept mm. cutting away <laughs> to frodo and sam and Gollum and and those guys. So I think they probably did the right thing, but it is it's funny watching them so closely together, isn't it? Because you know, the end of the fellowship is Legless, Gimli and Aragon, Aragon uh kind of going and they're going to save the hobbits. And <laughs> what actually happens is is Gandalf says to them, "Oh no, don't worry. Hobbits are all right." And they're like, "Oh, okay, fine." <laughs> Like, that they, even though there's then... Well, to be fair, they, qu- they spend the first, like, 45 minutes of the movie trying to find the Hobbits. They're tracking true. them down. And then when they That's get there, the, 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 there's been a raid on the, uh, on the, on the, on the, um, the orc sort of encampment that they were, that they were captured at on the way to Isengard. Yeah, so that's true. It's, it's, I, I think that would be way more egregious if they just immediately bumped into Gandalf and he was like, don't worry about them, they're fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, that's fair. I, where uh, at least um, they do spend the first sort of hour of the movie ish, maybe a little less, probably forty minutes, forty five minutes of the movie, genuinely trying to track those two down because I think th- you feel their frustration, not because there's multiple scenes where they're trying to catch up to them and you you see them getting annoyed that they can't quite catch up to the orcs yet, and then when they get there and they find out that Marion Pitt might have died, they look genuinely distraught. Like it's it's really sweet actually because I was just like, well, oh, and there's also didn't know you cared. It, 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 it's also quite for for a movie this long there's quite a lot not wasted so for example in the hunt to try and find them they come across the i can't remember their name but that the group that then appears at the end so that sets Mm -hmm. them up um they you know they come across you know another another young white man with a beard because every new character in this film is pretty much a young white man with a beard Uh, Um, Yes, maybe. I got. I know. No, no. Sorry, no, no. Sorry. Boromir's with Frodo. Um, they're with. Oh Christ. Eomir. Oh Christ! I, I always get them because uh, they've all got they've all got names that rhyme, and it drives I've me crazy. I've, got a, I've kept. A, I've oh no! Sorry. Did I say Boromir? I mean, do I mean Faramir? No, it's there with the the rebels. The ones that have been casted out by the king are led by Eomir, aren't they? They're led by Carl Urban's character. Possibly. And they're the ones that fight the orcs and send them to Fangong Forest. Yeah, I think you're right. And then the brother... So what's the brother called then? The brother of Sean Bean's character. So yeah, so it's Bo- that's Boromir and Faramir, I think. Yes, right. right, and they so, do. Carl, Carl, Carl Urban and the guy playing Boromir do look very similar. I know for a fact that confused me when I watched it, having not paid much attention to it. Yeah, 
Yeah, e- 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 <laughs> Eomer or whatever he was called. Yes, yes, that is confusing. Yeah, okay, so I said Boromir earlier when I meant Faramir. Apologies. This is what I mean. So if you're a big fan of the Lord of the Rings books and you're a big Tolkien scholar, I've maybe don't listen to these podcasts because we're only going to annoy you. Because I remember, re- not yeah, recently, but the- like a, a couple of years ago, listening to someone do the Harry Potter films, like review them. Um, on a podcast without having read the books and it was just infuriating <laughs> it was so unpleasant to listen to and and could i just say the the whole uh, the the white man with a beard thing is me making a comment about how i got confused when i was younger because like i say they all look a bit like kyle urban and they all look a bit like aragon and they all look very similar it wasn't making me making necessarily uh, a diversity point although of course that's there as well, but unfortunately, that's that is, as yes. we've discussed many a times, that is a product of the time in which this film was made, and it's appalling. Um, but yeah, it's 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 unfortunately a a product of the time. I think that there's not a lot of diversity in in films like this. Yeah, um, I, yeah, Carl Urban's great at this, by the way. I, I like Carl Carl Urban in general. I love him in the Boys. I like him on Star Trek stuff. Um, I liked him mm. in that really short-lived tv show almost human he was good in that he was good in thor ragnarok so i, I you know he's he's never let, he's never let me down chris i think this was would have been one of his first roles i assume yeah there's a there's a whole load of like because uh, miranda otto is a very good actress who plays eowyn mm-hmm. uh john noble's in this which i yes had no idea i wasn't I was sure you were so gonna clock that or not how cool is that <laughs> I was so distracted. (laughs) John Noble, fine. For for Um, those who don't know, Chris and I did a podcast where we reviewed, we did a hundred episodes of a podcast where we reviewed every single episode of a TV show called Fringe, which John Noble was one of the leads of. Um, So me and Chris and I are very familiar with John Noble. I'm like, intimately so. (laughs) Let's, Let's go back to Miranda Otto and Eowyn, because she's brilliant, genuinely like yes. she's really good but it is exactly what we said earlier for me it's the it is a very big example of in the books i expect that relationship and that character has loads of time and it almost i assume becomes a bit of a love triangle you don't have the time to do that here like you've already established um him and liz Ty- Liv tyler's character's name arwin Mm-hmm. Arwen, oh god yeah. is it really arwen and eowyn mm-hmm. that's what i'm saying that's I'm all the characters names it. rhymes it drives me crazy like i don't um, uh, <laughs> like uh, i was maybe, gonna say who uh, maybe people. we know who but come on man uh, with Sa- saruman uh, and sauron arwen and eowyn or whatever and then faramir and borby like stop it <laughs> and i'm probably i'm probably saying their names wrong that won't help but i think the and, and actually, I tell you what, I think the chemistry is all right between them as well. It's just, I don't... You know what, can I have a controversial of... thought? I think the chemistry between the two performers is stronger with Aragorn and her than with her and Arwen. Yeah, yeah, I think between, that's Sorry, fair. between him and Arwen, sorry. Yeah, I think that's, I, I think I, that's I, fair. I, and Controversial thought, maybe, but... You just don't, I don't think you have the time in a movie to really explore because they spent so much time as well setting up his love for Arrowin in the first movie that it's just a bit confusing. And it, it, it is, it's just a really good example of, well, I can't, I, I can't remember where it goes. So I might be, I might take this back next week, depending on where it goes. But for me, it's a really good example of 
this is something you can take out without affecting the overall story. This is an edit you can make when adapting the book to the film, which could be removed easily. It feels like it's there because the character needs to be. Again, I reserve judgment. I can't remember where the story goes, so I may go back on that. No, I think you're right, because I think the thing is, as, as charming as their scenes are, not only does her, his relationship with her not add anything to the plot, it doesn't really tell us anything about him. Mm. So if it's not giving us character stuff and it's not giving us plot stuff and it feels superfluous and distracts from his the relationship we've already established between him and Arwen, why is it there? Mm. It, it, it really does serve like so little purpose that you question its existence. And that is unusual <laughs> for these movies. Because despite the length... This is the thing we said last week. Despite the length of Fellowship, it feels like they've like stuffed it. Everything has a purpose. It's weirdly tight for a movie that long. A movie that long should, be, should feel meandering, usually. You'd go, oh, three and a half hour movie. It's going to plod along at whatever pace. But it, it moves at a clip, that first one. And this one mostly does too. But the areas in which it stalls are around plots like that that feel like they don't really contribute to the wider, the wider picture. And I'm not even sure, Chris, if that love story is in the books. If I'm being honest with you, I don't recall it. Um, I could be wrong. It must be, surely. Well, because if not, then they really have gone and... But then again, they added a love story, a love story to the to the Hobbit movies that wasn't in the books, despite oh, promising really? they absolutely wouldn't to one of the actresses involved. Oh wow! Yeah, you have to, I don't know. You have to tell me more about that at some other point. I don't know yes. about that. And it's a, that it's, it's, an a, it's an actress you're familiar with, and there's a reason she didn't want to do another love triangle. <laughs> but anyway, um, so you know, it's. It, you're looking at this. I'm just. There's just no point to it. Like it just really it adds nothing to anything. It's very strange. Um, and look, everyone's gonna go. Whoa, you're watching the extended cuts. It's, maybe that's. Maybe that's. You know, not in the theatrical. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's still in the theatrical. So I think that. I think that criticism works for both versions of this movie. Yeah, I think it's too. I would assume it was too integral to to kind of take out and stuff. Um, I think well, one, integral to the, to the sort of like the movements more than the, anything else because she's she's in a bunch of scenes where they're going places that where important things happen. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, I in terms of like the new characters, it, otherwise D, I can't um, remember the name of Sean Bean's brother. The character's Far- name is Faramir. 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 That whole story with Faramir and the echoing of him being tempted to make the same mistakes as his brother, but choosing not to, I yes. thought was really effective. Um, oh, I thought so that good. was really, really nicely done. I thought it was paced beautifully and gently. I thought it evolved logically. Um, I really, I thought you, it's a hard ask to believe that, well, essentially a speech and then Frodo's reaction to that speech is what changes his mind, but it absolutely plays because the dialogue's really good. Um, the Sean Austin is it who plays Samwise? Mm-hmm. His his acting in the scene is brilliant. Um, obviously Elijah's brilliant, and yeah, I thought that whole storyline was a really in terms of the new characters and the stories we we had with the new characters. Um, I thought because well, obviously I'm not 
particularly counting Gandalf in that. Um, I thought that was very effective um, and was probably my favourite of the of the new characters and the stories we had with them. Although I love obviously the tree stuff, but um, yeah, I guess the the new ca- the new elves, dwarfs, or, or men that we meet in this film. Yeah, so he was he's definitely one of my favourite things about this movie um, storyline wise. I think it's, it's it's all the stuff you just said is absolutely right. It's it's very compelling um, because they they. The, the, some of the flashbacks aren't in the theatrical cut, which makes me sad because I think what really makes it play is the is the, 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 the flashbacks, because seeing him be, d- d- you know, like sort of labelled by his father as being weaker than his brother, and then seeing him turn out to be essentially, you know, in a, in a, in, a, in in a certain sense, you know, the better man, it's just there's something about that arc feels very clean but very powerful. Um, especially because he is still tempted at the beginning to do to do the, the, the not good thing and then does it right. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, right. It's one. It's one of my favorite stories of the, of the movie. The only compa- the only comparative one, the only one that I'm like, I'm kind of can't decide if I prefer that one or this one in terms of like, I guess new characters. It depends. I actually, you, you might have already discluded this, but Gollum. Do you count Gollum as a new character in this movie? Oh yeah, that's the point. Yeah, no, you would because. Yeah. Because for me, Gollum's arc is is the closest to it in terms of just like new characters having really compelling stories to the point where you go, "What a shame! These new characters are so damn interesting." Because it's one of the reasons we're not getting more stuff with Gimli and Legolas. Um, but Gollum's arc in this, uh, watching him battle his inner demons—that incredible, iconic scene where he talks to himself and at first he's switching but then the camera just starts cutting so it's literally like he's talking to himself and the, you know him sort of beating down those evil urges that the sort of smeagol coming through then the, the, the you know the, the the nice you know being he once might have been you know for, for all the viewer knows at this stage you know obviously we don't know the movies haven't confirmed Gollum's exact backstory yet we'll get more of that next week but um you know having him a Smeagol, and again portrayed beautifully by Andy Serkis, uh, exhibit all these kind-hearted thoughts, you know, about yeah, Frodo, oh, my master has looked after me, he's helped Smeagol and then have him switch to the to the, 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 you know, the sort of almost demonic Gollum character that's like you know, wants him to kill the stupid fat hobbitses. You know, like it's just it's it's just watching him go between those two, but then watching the character struggle with the two, suppress the evil thought, but then get betrayed and see how that betrayal allows the evil thoughts to creep back in. Oh, oh man, it's good. And even watching Sam defend it and almost head it, try to head it off at the past, like Sam so. Sam's so wise that he understands there's a chance that Smeagol Gollum might have, you know, not understood that Frodo was saving his life and actually goes out of his way to say, just so you know, right, he was helping you. And and then he still, you know, falls to, you know, falls to those evil thoughts. It's so good. And what a tease for the next movie, right? Like, uh, you know, the Gandalf stood on the hill like, this battle isn't even close to over... We'll have a return of the king next. You know, wink, wink at the camera. Um, uh, there'll be some sort of return of the king. Ding. Um, but, you know, the, it, 
the Gollum storyline, the pr- pr- the premise that they've basically learnt to trust him, Frodo and Sam, right at the moment he's changed his mind essentially, and now plans to you know do away with them to get the ring back. Come on, like that's so good. So yeah, the yeah, only cha- the only challenge to Faramir being the best new character in the movie is is unfortunately Gollum. Yeah, no, that's fair. I hadn't I hadn't thought of Gollum, and I think the it is an absolute travesty that Andy Serkis didn't get nominated for any major awards for that portrayal. Um, and, uh, you know, we, you can argue to the cows come home about how much of an impact the special effects are having, but I'm sorry, so much of that work is him. Like, so much of the voice work, the switching between the two, is comes from him. And he absolutely, in my opinion, should have got more... Uh, it's amazing, right? How, how he sells two such similar voices but so diametrically opposed to each other like when they talk to each other it's you don't you almost don't need the camera cutting back and forth to show you could close your eyes and you'd know when it was Smeagol speaking from Gollum just on the voice alone and the delivery and the sort of extra uh, somehow sincerity he manages to give Smeagol that's incredible Absolutely. Do you think they do enough to set up who Gollum is if you don't remember the first film? Well, no, but on purpose, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think they're using. So I think in the in the books, obviously, the assumption is you've read Hobbit, the Hobbit first, because the Hobbit was was I believe released first. So you you know you'd have read the you know, Lord of the Rings is a sequel to a thing in the book form. So there's no need to explain Gollum. Gollum's already been explained. But I feel like in these movies, Jackson kind of went for the idea of we'll tease who he might have been once upon a time, but we won't confirm it. And See, then we'll we'll, we'll 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 reveal it in the third movie. I think that's the plan. Uh, I, I, I don't think that was an accident. I could be wrong. So correct me if I'm wrong then. So Gollum only appears, as far as I'm, from my cast list thing that I looked at the other week. Gollum is... Is Gollum played by Benedict Cumberbatch in the Hobbit films? Then is that a different character? Is it? No, he he plays a yeah. No, he he plays a dragon called Smaug. Benedict Cumberbatch. So, um, is Andy Serkis Serkis reprises his Gollum role for those movies? For all of them, because like on the list, he wasn't. He's not down as being in like the final one or etc. No, because the 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 final Hobbit movie is. uh, Ah, mostly appendices from another book, <laughs> so he's not in that one. Right, um, okay. and uh, he's mostly in the first one, which is the 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 film that is mostly actually telling the story of the the Hobbit book. Yeah, he's yeah in his filmography, he's literally just mm-hmm. listed in the first one. Right, yeah, okay, I, I, yeah. I wasn't right, sure right. if they like fa- found a way to shoot him into the second one or not from memory, but he's 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 his big scene, which is his iconic introduction from the book which is the scene of him and um, Bilbo in the cave doing riddles over the ring. Um, is is that's, that's an incredible sequence that's, that's um, teased at the beginning of the, the, the Lord of the Rings movie, but it's, 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 it's actually shown and, and plays out as it, roughly as it did in the book, in the, uh, in, well, in, so in, the I, in the movie. I, I don't know we're not meant to be talking about this, but so in the Hobbit films, Bilbo finds the ring in the first movie. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yeah, and then a bunch, of, and then a bunch of other stuff happens. Yep, 
Because okay. uh, a little, let you in a little secret now, Chris. It was a shit show. They basically um, there was a weird movie deal where uh, I think it was like New Line Cinema and another production company had to share money legally on the first Hobbit movie because of some old rights deal that had been made a long time ago. That there was someone else, MGM maybe. Yeah, it was MGM and New Line were the production companies on the Hobbit movies, and. New Line, I think, were actually making the movie, but because of an old rights deal, they had to give half the profit to MGM. But they didn't have to do that on any sequels. So they said to Jackson, you can turn it into two films, right? And he went, yeah, I reckon there's enough stuff for two films. And then they went, how about three? (laughs) Because that meant two movies where they were getting 100% of the profit, not just one. Um, And as a result, Wow. Well, the result is shocking. It's absolutely abysmal, is what the result is. Um, Like, there is an incredible Hobbit movie somewhere in there. (laughs) Um, But I don't blame Peter Jackson for there not actually being one. (laughs) Right, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Um, The studio got greedy, greedy, basically, is the answer. And as a result, it's all weirdly front-loaded. It's hard to explain, but when we'll, we'll, we'll definitely review them on here at some point. It'll be fun to watch. Cool. Right, fair enough. Um, what do you What do you think of the uh, the final battle? Does it still feel epic? Because I tell you what, when not to ask a question and then begin an answer myself. When, feel free, when feel they, free to answer your own question because I've I've talked too much. When they took down that wall, <laughs> yes. I found that genuinely epic and like <laughs> suspenseful, and I was like, oh fucking hell! Like it really still worked on me. Like whether then the extended edition, there's kind of there's a lot of battle after. Maybe you could argue, but I didn't particularly feel that way. But like some of those early moments, especially when they take down the wall, I think that absolutely plays and is really effective. Yeah. Um, I think one thing this gets a lot of credit for, and essentially I'm probably repeating a, a, a praise that's been given to this movie a hundred times in the past, I'm sure, but the, the biggest thing that people come back to when they talk about this movie is how great Peter Jackson seems to be at establishing the stakes of the battle, where everyone is within it, and what it is they're defending and doing visually. So we don't have characters running up to each other and saying things they should all know, which is that wall's really important. Defend that wall, which uh, Wachowskis, I hope you're listening, because we talked about this a lot with your third fucking Matrix movie. (laughs) Piece of shit. The exact opposite reason to this. Um, You know, when they do that battle at the end of the third Matrix movie, you're just like, ah, oh, there's just robots shooting, people in mechs shooting floaty robot things. I don't really understand where anyone is in this. I don't understand what the goals are. I don't understand where the pinch points are. I don't understand where the where the borders are, that if they pass, they're in trouble. None of that is established. Yet, here, master at work, Peter Jackson, just effortlessly layers tiny bits of information throughout the throughout the movie, and then during the battle itself, so that you always understand what the stakes are. Always. And as a result, the action sequence is so engaging. Um, I, I I would speculate... A lot of people think the Return of the King battle is, is the best battle from these movies. Um, I would speculate Helm's Deep might be better. Because I think it has more tension. 
So yeah, yeah I um, think so. It definitely you, you, you clocked it. Def- and you clocked it correctly. It's the best. It's one of the best things about this movie. It definitely. Uh, you yeah, but you just like it's got legless on a skateboard. That's what you like. Um, yeah. Don't try. Well, the, no, no. That. To be fair, the ne- the next one has legless like sliding down the tail of some big monster thing while he shoots arrows at people. The next one's got a badass legless moment too. So uh, you know, I'm I'm covered uh, no matter okay. what. If I want to see um, very attractive man Orlando Bloom. We, you know, where contact lenses make his eyes absurdly blue and have him slide down a, some sort of object while shooting arrows into orcs. I'm covered. <laughs> I'm covered in this no, whole trilogy. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Um, the it's just such a shame, though, isn't it, that they didn't give. You know what would have made it all better? The legless scenes. If they he'd have given, they'd have given them. Uh, Arrows that do weird things like they did in Hawkeye in the Hawkeye series. I want to see Legolas, Legolas has like shoot magic an arrow. arrows. They're not technology yeah, like the Hawkeye ones. They're just magic. <laughs> yeah. Um, for some reason, then the... I was I thought you were going to say it's such a shame they didn't give Gimli a similar scene where he slides down something. And then I had an image in my head of Legolas, you know, getting the shield, sliding down, arrowing people, and then Gimli trying to do the same thing but falling flat on his face, sliding down, but still his axe hits an orc on the way down. That would have been great, but Ghibli's got all that really fun stuff with the with the um, the jumping. It's like I can't jump; you'll have to throw me. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, which is a weird payoff to it. I don't know if you recall in the last movie when they were in the staircase that was collapsing, he says you don't throw a dwarf or you don't toss a dwarf or something like that, and then jumps himself. Oh, so really? So it's a little payoff to a to a bit from the previous movie where he turns to Aragorn and is like, "Okay, th- we need it this time. I'm I'm gonna I will allow it." <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I completely agree. I think there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of there's you kind of forget that Gandalf's gone, and you you are f- sat there thinking, "How are they getting out of this? Like this feels this right. feels very much like hope is lost." <laughs> Um, which is amazing because we know there's a third movie and even if you've not already seen the third movie which we both have so we know all the main guys get out of this alive yet even with that knowledge (laughs) you still there's still tension that's amazing yeah completely because like you say they set up the stakes so brilliantly and and you know what maybe that's another defense of the of the Irwin character because you know without her we haven't got someone, and we've seen those kids a couple of times, but we haven't really got someone right. to cut to to be the face of of the of the potential victims and the and the the kind of the, the what appears to be the women and children. Um, so maybe we need her for that reason as well because it humanizes the people that are hiding um, and means mm. we can cut to them looking scared and stuff like that. And, um, and you know what they didn't do, Chris? They didn't. When an army of zombies was attacking, put them in the crypt. <laughs> Women and children. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. It's hard, isn't it? Not to, not to in general, feel the influence when watching this that it then had on Harry Potter, especially that last book. Jesus. Um, yeah. Harry Potter and Game of as you've just kind of I I believe hinted at there Game of Thrones. Yes, <laughs> correct. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think Lord of the Rings in general, it's 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 funny because the Lord of the Rings books influenced the literature that followed it massively. Game of Thrones, and to some extent, I'm sure J.K. is a fan of the Lord of the Rings books and the Harry Potter books. And then you've got the Lord of the Rings films, which I think definitely had an impact. 
on the um the adaptations that we then got of Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. I I I, I you know it's just so funny that like it always comes back to Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is one of those incredible pieces that it's like whatever you're reading or watching or viewing if you if you trace it back it's going to come back to lord of the rings probably mm. some way or another it's, it's such it's such a huge part of so many writers early diets that it's hard for them not to be in some way influenced by it. it's it's the same way now when people go oh the beatles were shit i'm just like yeah what band do you like now the name of band i'm like yeah that band wouldn't exist without the beatles because they were inspired by a band who were inspired by a band who were absolutely inspired by the beatles like you don't have to go back that far to find a connection to the beatles right with with music and um yeah. because whether they invented that stuff or not they popularized it and that's that's the thing was Tolkien the first person to write a big fantasy epic of this nature? Probably not. <laughs> but he's he certainly popularized it, and as a result, the things that he did have become tropes and have you know bled into all media. And 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 yeah, you de- you're right. You absolutely feel that influence. And Jackson managed to recreate that magic with these movies to the point where then these movies influenced all the following adaptations. It's really cool. I, I, it's it's just really neat to see that this story is still so powerful even today. Yeah, oh, completely, and and I think the 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 battle scene is a big part of that. Especially, it's you know the film's influence on other films, and I'm sure you talk about it in the trivia. But I can I can literally remember news articles, news uh, sorry news segments where Peter Jackson talked about the techniques used in that battle in terms of the CGI and having this kind mm. of. It's it this um, army attack another army. You know you can you can see echoes of that in in the Marvel movies. You know it's um, right. it absolutely is is iconic and and definitely still feels iconic when you're watching it. And I think again, like we said for the first film, it's down to smart structural decisions and putting the weight where it needs to be. Um, what do you? think about Gandalf's return because I again thought that was really whilst the trader spoil it you know that scene where Merry and Pippin come across uh, the white wizard and they think it's Saruman and it cuts away even though part of you is going ah it's Gandalf isn't it because you know we've seen the posters we've seen the trailers whatever actually I think if you were just watching these films fresh that's really effective. That would really shock someone and make them go, wait, what? Is that is that Saruman? Are they in trouble? Um, and then the kind of reveal later that it's actually Gandalf is uh, is really effective. Um, whether the logistics of it are explained particularly well, maybe yeah. I, can, I can see that being confusing. And I know it confused me, like as a teenager watching it. I'm like, wait, so he did die, but he got resurrected uh, because he's got more to do. Does that mean he's going to die when all this is over? I actually can't remember <laughs> whether that is the case. Found myself wondering it again. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some logistics things there, maybe. But again, you don't know how much of that is text and lore and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, or how much of it is even just like magic, right? <laughs> like, I know that sounds dumb, but he's a wizard, right? So... the who knows what rules do and do not apply? I feel like, I, and I could be wrong, but I feel like a casual viewer that watches this just accepts it without question because he's a wizard. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. that's fair. And and I think they they distract a bit from it. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit. Hey, look at over, look over here, look at these jang- jangly keys. Don't don't think about this thing over here. Think about this because what they do, which and I and I don't remember if the I know the book does this, but I don't remember if the book does it in the same way to almost distract from the question of the how. 
but then it becomes a question of like or, or the, your mind is brought to the idea of the well what's different because he literally says oh i was gandalf the gray oh i vaguely remember you you know he's talking like he's a different person now now i'm gandalf the white and it's like they just do it in a way that like you're so busy wondering about what that means, what the ramifications of that are. How different is he? Does he have his old memories? Does he that you stop questioning the the physics of how did he survive? <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, but then they show you that, I suppose. So you know, he 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 heads down into the depths of hell. It's a hits a mountain in hell, I guess. Beats the Balrog and is still alive to a point. They. When he lands, he doesn't splat on the floor and have his, you know, spine shoot out his nose. It's it, He survives the fall, I guess, weirdly, but still ends up in some sort of demon realm and has to get his way out. I guess that's the explanation. I don't really understand it. But again, I think this this idea that they've almost like had him become a different character. It's almost like a Doctor Who regeneration, you know, the way it works. Say, go take your, take, your, take, your, take your drink. For those of you who are playing our drinking game of Harry Potter or... Doctor Who, you're very drunk this week. <laughs> um, I think you're uh, right. I, th- I think they it? do it in a way where where it doesn't matter. Um, but mm. yeah, I th- I, th- I, but I think he he defeats the creature, but ends up dying anyway and gets sent back once he dies. But right. I, yeah, could be wrong. Oh, it's like a, I use my last breath to take the, the the Balrog out, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna die, and then he just finds himself back on Earth and doesn't really know how or why himself. Is it one of those? One well, of those I think someone. I think there's a line about how he's got sent back because his his business isn't finished, which makes right. me then, which is why I'm then like, oh, does that mean he's dying at at the end of Return of the King? Because you do spend this film desperate for him and Frodo to meet. They do a really good job of uh, of you know making a Gandalf's presence still felt across the Sam and Frodo scenes. Mm. How do you, you feel? Speaking of Sam, go. On. I was just going to ask you how you felt about the the the, the Merry and Pippin thing with Treebeard because there's there's a slight thing that I couldn't decide if I thought was a contradiction or not. Treebeard mm-hmm. comes across them and he's like, mm, I don't know if you're hobbits or orcs. You know, I don't know who you are. You you, you know, you could be with these lot for all I know because he's just defended them. Treebeard when Treebeard first shows up, for anyone who doesn't remember. Mary and Pippin are in bad, bad way. They're being hunted down by orcs, and Treebeard takes out the orcs, then picks them up, and is like, you know, are you, you know, you for all I know, you're with them. You know, he doesn't know. So, in the end, they convince him otherwise. But there's a whole story across the movie about that. But then there's a line in the middle of that where he suggests Gandalf asked him to look after them. Now, well, that's if that's Gandalf... true, then how does he? Why is he not sure if they're orcs or not? Yeah, well, I... Or have I, or have I Gan- misunderstood? I wouldn't rule that out too. That is always an option, that I'm an idiot. Well, there's the scene with Gandalf and them, and and the tree. Um, they, I'm sure they chat <laughs> at some point. Uh, hold on, let me see if I can find it. So yeah, Gandalf, because my interpretation of it, but you are right. Why did they later on go? We've decided you are, you aren't orcs. Why is that a discussion between the things? Yeah, so they find they're with the tree and Gandalf. Then they look up and it's Gandalf. But weirdly, Gandalf's return moment is then 
Yeah, that's the problem. We don't, by the looks of it, see Mary Pippin the tree and Gandalf. Gandalf's next return moment is when he's with Legless, etc. Yeah, and yeah. he tells them, "Oh, yeah, no, they're with the tree. I've I've seen them." And that's when you, as an audience member, go, "Oh, right, that that's who Mary and Pippin seal." But they didn't actually. We don't see that conversation with Gandalf. Yeah, so you're right. Why later on do they have the "We've decided you're not." orcs discussion because presumably gandalf's made that clear to them yeah because because i'm also fairly certain there's a point where treebeard outright confirms he spoke to gandalf and says that you know gandalf asked me to look after you or something like that i'm sure there's a moment like that i might be misremembering but um i'm pretty confident yeah no i think there is yeah yeah so yeah i don't know found that so it's almost like couldn't decide if that was like um uh a sort of a result of the you know, on, on the uh, you know the the re-editing of a movie that's been cut down to a theatrical and then re-extended. Maybe that's just some sort of weird editing thing where a line that was taken out got re-put back in that made con- led to some confusion. Yeah, because I do think it would have been cleaner if we saw that scene. If and they've done it before, where because you can still I know the argument against that is, but you want the you want the moment where Gandalf returns to Aragon, etc. But we've had it before, where in the first film, we don't see Gandalf appears to Frodo, and then you're like, Frodo and the audience are going, how'd you escape, dude? And then Gandalf tells them, and we see in flashbacks, Gandalf escaping. So I think Gandalf could say, I've already met with Merry and Pippin, and then we see that scene, or we see shots of it over, right. yeah. over the discussion. I think that would be cleaner. I was uh, I was going to ask, uh, and uh, those two pints have hit me. So while I nipped at Lou, your last week, your memory of this film was that there was an arc, and a lot of it was about Sam and Frodo and their relationship, and that yes. kind of um, Frodo's. Uh, you didn't say it, but I my memory of the film combined with what you said made me think you were talking about you know, the ring corrupting Frodo, etc. How do you think, how in execution, uh, how in rewatch did you find that that storyline and, and that arc? Do you think it is as much of an arc as you remembered it or etc.? Yeah, because I mean, that was, I, if memory serves, my comment was a, was a response to your sort of feeling that at the end of that movie, Sam hadn't necessarily had as much development as you'd have liked. And I'll be curious once you're back on mic to get your thoughts on whether they've addressed that now but in terms of how the arc plays out in this movie i think it's actually yeah it's it's another one of the movie's strengths um i think they they do a beautiful job in very quickly at the beginning establishing how much respect frodo has for sam you know sam's being weird about certain things like he's brought this salt along even though there's no food to season and and frodo sees the good in that and goes no you've brought a little bit of home with you you know nothing and then he you know then uh, you know, Sam's saying something nice about that that bread and the rope and stuff or whatever, and 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 Frodo literally says nothing dampens your spirit. You know, and it's it's they do a really good job to establish that Frodo has a really that really come to respect and love what Sam brings to the table for their team. But as the ring corrupts Frodo, how we see it manifest is really clever. So you show him getting on with Sam, of respecting and really having a love for Sam, and then show that going away as the ring corrupts him, as one of the signs that the ring is winning. And that's kind of genius. It kind of accidentally turns Sam into a bit of a plot point rather than a character. Um, 
but the, the, you, seeing Sam think clearly contrasted with seeing Frodo very much not always thinking clearly in this movie is how we see signs of that corruption coming through. Um, and seeing them sort of start to disagree um, is is really powerful. And then obviously, we, you know, they, they'll sort of come back together in the end. And obviously one of the things they disagree over is how to handle Gollum. Um, and that's all linked in with that plot. So I, I think it works really well because it's, it's kind of a few different storylines happening at once and they all kind of complement each other. Um, so it's, uh, it's like a really good, it's like a really good stew. All the ingredients put in at the correct quantities and boiled to success. Um, the fact I'm using a stew analogy means I've been forced to talk for too long. Uh, Chris, I'm hoping you're now back in the mic because I think I just heard you return. Am I right? No. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you went with stew because Sam cooks a stew in it, but maybe you weren't being that clever. <laughs> no, no, I, it was yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a reference. It's still a really dumb metaphor for what I was trying to explain. <laughs> <laughs> I to your question, yes, I do think they develop Sam uh, better in this film. Um, I think it's a combination, or they show they show that it's a genuine affection for Sam, uh, and they do it for a, a number of things. <laughs> One, I know how stupid this sounds. It's literally as simple as he. It felt like in the first film he referenced Gandalf and making a promise to Gandalf a lot. He doesn't really reference that in this film. It's more about you know he's along for this journey. Um, his unquestioning loyalty. Uh, he never looks like he's going to back away. He never you know of course he's going to go with him and he's going to go with him anywhere. That speech. Sure, I'm pretty sure it's Sean Austin, isn't it? Um, yes, Sean yeah. Austin's performance giving that speech at the end is beautiful. I may be, I'll be honest, it may be quite emotional. Like, it's a really good it's fantasy so speech good. about good and evil and all that sort of stuff. Um, one, of, one of the best parts of the movie. And, and look, I, I think I've said that about four times. You know, oh, that's one of my favorite things about the movie. One of my favorite things about the movie. It's a great fucking movie. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 <laughs> quite a, it's, it's long, so there are lots of good bits. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and he's he's brilliant. His, I'd almost say, almost because actually I think Elijah Wood's really brilliant as well. But I'd almost say in this film he's almost he'd I'd almost give the you know give the tip of the hat to him over Elijah in a way. Like I think he's doing, he's carrying a lot of those scenes. He's bringing a lot to it. And Elijah Wood's fantastic in the stuff where he's you know really tempted by the ring. Um, he's he's emoting an awful lot with sometimes no dialogue um sometimes just you know physical acting um but i think sean austin really fleshes sam out in this movie and it's given the opportunity to by the script you know like you say their disagreements about gollum etc the whole uh, potatoes scene with with gollum boil them mash them stick him in a stew fantastic you are sorry boil them mash them stick him in a stew yeah, potatoes. And is it me, or do they reference chips at one point? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't recall that, but maybe. Yeah. Let me see if I can find a copy of the script online and, and search for the word uh, for the great. word chips. See, it's funny because um, this movie is full. This movie got like turned into like a lot of like. I don't know, like memes and like sort of early memes, like proto memes, in the sense of like there were there were like popular videos made with clips from this movie, like uh, that kind of ruins certain moments from it now. So um, they've taken the hobbits to Isengard. For those who don't know, was a very popular 
video that I've just found. It's still on YouTube. It's got 35 million views. It's 16 years old, but I think this might be even a re-upload. Yeah, this is a re-upload, and it's been there for 16 years and has 35 million views. So the original maybe lost to time. Um, and then a few years ago when they were filming the Hobbit movies, they made Orlando Bloom recreate it on set, which was embarrassing. But uh, for anyone who doesn't remember, um, I've got, have I got the clip? Can we, we, here we go. This is the song, and I will never hear this line properly again. It just goes on. <laughs> like that. There we go. So... So there's a few like that. There's like three or four, and it means that certain lines in this movie are basically ruined for me forever. So they're taking the Hobbits to Isengard. <laughs> I can't hear that now without going, the Hobbits, the Hobbits, the Hobbits, the Hobbits to Isengard, to Isengard. You know, I can't. And then um, po- potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew, potatoes, <laughs> because there are like I- four or five songs that came it's- out of this. I don't know why. Why this movie specifically inspired that, but um, yeah, uh, I just I, guess what I, I... and and I the next very the next bit of that line, Dan. I was right. So it's what's taters precious? What's taters her? And then Sam says potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Lovely big golden chips with a nice piece of fried fish. The fact that they have fish and chips in this world is bamboozling to me. <laughs> <laughs> the Middle Earth equivalent. Well, talk, talk, maybe Tolkien likes a good bit of fish and chips. Yeah, and you know, I'm not suggesting it's not. It's a nice piece of fried fish is the line. They've not said a nice bit of breadcrumbed and... <laughs> and fried, yeah, like, it's not battered fish yeah <laughs> yeah but still um because yeah because then Gollum moans about how that's spoiling <laughs> that's spoiling fish <laughs> so funny i'm um, so sorry yes, to anyone who i've now of... gotten that song in the head of by the way it's very catchy <laughs> yeah and there's like you say there's a lot of you, you this film is very iconic in it and it and it fills it um it's yeah, yeah it's it's very good what other sort do of we, we... Uh, more general <laughs> notes have you got well, I just wanted—I wanted to ask you the, the overall quality question. Do we think this is better than Fellowship or worse than Fellowship? Because we've given it a—we've heaped a lot of praise on it. I have got one criticism, but it's kind of a nitpicky one, so we'll, we'll head to nitpick corner in a, in a minute. Um, but on the whole, we've given this an absolute boatload of praise. We've just been heaping the praise on the movie. Is it better than the first one? Uh, I personally, I think the first one's better still. Um, mm. I think there is. A because the story is less is well for one the fellowship is together for the majority of it, um, right. which means we're dealing with one story. Um, I think there is a conciseness and a a you know the first one is more feels like more of a road trip movie, which I you know personally really like. But I think right. the the first one isn't as bulky. Sets up the characters wonderfully. Has has an epic variety of set pieces, um, potentially even more so than this. This has some amazing set pieces. A lot of them are people on horses fighting with swords and stuff. That's not a criticism. It's a it's a you know if you're asking me which do I prefer. Whereas you know you've got the cave with the monster in the first one. You've got mm-hmm. the um, the I can't remember their names, but the the people in cloaks chasing them and the fight oh, the with ring them rates. in the yes, 
yep, the fight with them, and it's just this kind of one. It's basically Aragon and the Hobbits cowering, and then he's taking on all of them. And so the I think the variety of set pieces and the cohesion of the first film, as well as the amazing job it does, the the great structuring, etc., and the amazing job it does at introducing everyone and setting it up, I personally would, if you, you know, I would rather watch the first one again, I think, although that would then ultimately lead to me watching the other two. But if you're, if we're doing, uh, and I think we should, um, if we're doing rankings, personally, I'm still putting the first film above this one for those mm. reasons. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm a little more torn on the grounds of like, some of the moments in this are just so, like, obviously, I mean, if we're talking about a battle, I don't think any of the battles in the first movie match up to Helm's Deep. Uh, there's some great stuff in the first movie. Nope. We yeah, no, I agree with that. From from an action I, I'm perspective, I'm talking specifically about the, the different the the different types of battle. Is um, oh yeah, what I was talking about there. So oh, yeah. no, no, you you were right. Yeah, no, there's more variation in the first movie for sure. With that's not in question. But I I just think the execution is stronger here. Um, yeah, and then fair. we have this incredible idea of like putting Gollum and Frodo together and I know it's from the book so this isn't Peter Jackson's doing but it's it's in this movie and it's the idea of when Sam says to Frodo about like why are you being nice to him and Frodo says because I have to believe he can come back and Mm. the idea that Frodo is in a position where Gollum might be his future (laughs) and if you know and and how horrifying and terrifying that must be because this is this gross little creature that's like you know smacking fish on the ground to kill them so he can you know gobble them he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's like a little goblin thing he's he's not a pleasant creature you know the idea that, that might be your future is must be terrifying you know um yeah. and, and 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 like the way this movie plays on that is is so well done um i just think the the the, the payoff to the to the to Saruman's Destruction of the forests that we got a glimpse of in the previous movie. There's something very satisfying about that. There's there's something very satisfying about um, Faramir's story in this. Um, So, yeah, there's just a ton of stuff. Uh, Oh, yeah, of course, we haven't even talked about the the swamp of bodies as a visual, um, which Mm. my understanding is it's something Tolkien saw when at war himself um, and worked it into the book. And, yeah, I still... Shockingly, yeah, it's a very effective, effective yeah. image, or even down to small details. The horse, Chris. He lets the horse go. He says, "This one's." He says something like, "This one's seen enough. Turn him free. He's seen enough of war." There it is. Um, the horse was called Baragon, and Aragon's. Oh God, the horse was called Baragon or Bragon. Dear Lord, everything rhymes. Um, he, you know, Aragon says, "Turn him free. He's seen enough of war." And then Aragon, in his moment of need, later, is rescued by, I believe, that horse. Yeah, nice. So, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's, a, it's, it's, it's the details in this movie that really do it. So I, I still think, I think objectively, Fellowship still might be the better movie. Maybe because it doesn't have. There are more issues in this movie than that one. We talked about slight pacing issues in the middle. We've talked about the issue of plots that could literally be removed. It is it, it slightly more feels its length than the previous one. But when this one hits its highs, it hits them higher than the previous one. So I don't know how that balances out, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's 
that's fair. Um, yeah, well, I think, and I, so, but you got to. I'm, I'm going to insist, Dan, unless you want to save your ranking for the final. For no, the I'm final right. We don't return right now. I think I'm going to say. I. Yeah, no, I think this might be the better movie. For now, I reserve the right fair. to change my mind by next week. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, um, Stew on, on it a bit more. Wait. Um, what are some of your... You got any like general... Well, what's your nitpick? Oh, my, my nitpick. Let's go All to, right, let's yeah, go to sorry. Nitpick let's talk about my nitpick. Um, oh, well, uh, I hear the, uh, the king's got a new advisor. Has he? Yeah, yeah. Weird, though. King suddenly looks about 100 years older. What do you mean? Well, the king's all sickly now, and he's got white hair and stuff, and he looks like he's on his deathbed. What, out of nowhere? Like magic? Yeah, like magic. Weird. What's the new advisor like? Well, he's called Grim Wormtongue. Sorry? He's called Grim Wormtongue. His new advisor's called Grim Wormtongue. What does he look like? Well, he's this sort of greasy goblin fella. Um... I don't know, he's he's very, you know, he's very secretive. He sort of whispers in the king's ear. Huh, that doesn't sound good, does it? Nah, I'm sure it's fine. The fuck is this character? <laughs> what world is this? <laughs> how is how is this guy gone? Even his fucking son is just letting this guy manipulate him. He couldn't be more obviously evil Mate, if he tried. He might as well be wearing a fucking sign that says, I'm a bad guy. How has no one sussed this out? Mate, the son, and and this added to my confusion as a kid and nearly did here, the son yeah. is my nitpick on that stuff. Why do we need the, why do we need the son character? Can not, can that role of, I, I disagree with this, I don't believe in it, could that not have been filled by the lead guy, by, you know, Boromir's brother, by that character, surely? Well, these no, are two not different, that character, two, sorry, two no, the leader human... of the rebels people, Carl Urban's character. Right. Could that yeah. role just not have been? Could we not have seen him banished at the beginning, and that be that filled a I don't agree, something dodgy's going on role? Because mm. the son's death isn't really mentioned again. We have a whole funeral scene for him. Uh, maybe it's meant to add weight, but no, it doesn't even add weight to maybe. Maybe it adds to his reasoning for keeping everyone safe instead of going. You know, the king's reasoning for keeping everyone safe instead of going to war right away. Maybe. But I don't think it adds enough to the story for it to not be again, if you're adapting it, a little bit cleaner to just have that function be the guy who then leads the the right. army of people that have gone against the king. Sometimes condensing is 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 painful because, you know, no one wants to do that to a classic, but it is sometimes necessary. Right? Yeah. Like, completely. Sometimes you just got to admit. You know, and the thing is, they're not completely afraid to do it because there is another Hobbit that's cut out of these movies. Well, mostly he wouldn't. He would have only been in the first one. There's another Hobbit that they kind of escape the Shire with that they end up splitting off from. Oh, really? Um, in the books. But he's he's gone. He, you know, um, I, feel, I always forget his name. Uh, bear with me. Uh, it's, oh, Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil is is gone in in these movies, and he's a he's a. Ah, I don't think he's like the most essential character. I understand why Tom Bombadil is cut, but there's a part of me that goes like, if you're willing to do that, then I feel feel like you should be willing to make other 
sort of concessions. Concessions, yeah. Clear some of the clear some of the characters and condense a few things because I do think that, that these movies in general have too many characters. Um, so, like, it's, yeah. especially when it comes to these sort of tertiary human characters, when we're in Gondor and Rohan and we're we're establishing, which again, really clever plot. You know, there's an implication that Saruman has been weakening. The, you know the worlds of men for, for 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 years. You know Rohan and Gondor both seem to be weak. You know d- divided, and the idea is that they've not had a single king to unite those different tribes of men for this time. You know since uh, Isidor or whatever he's called was was were, you know fell. Seems like the line of succession kind of got messed up, and now there are all these small kingdoms that have arisen in place of the one united one and it's allowed saruman to sort of sow dismay and you know weaken alliances and create factions and you know the 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 implication of this movie he's done it for a while because i think he actually says in this movie you know rohan is ready to fall suggesting that they've been doing it for a while as in you know you know with grimmer worm tongue Jesus Christ. You know, he's clearly been there for a good while as well. So, like, you know, that's all really good stuff. So, yeah, you're, you're 100% agree with you. Like, when you've got so many tertiary characters uh, in, in sort of the, the kingdoms of men, as it were, like, I just think it's like, you know, we, we've cut down the elves to just sort of two key elves, three key elves, you know. <laughs> yeah. Can we not just cut it down to two or three key human characters too, please? <laughs> Yeah, I think that I think that would would help the film personally. Um, yeah. And look, I get it. If you're, there are things they cut out of Harry Potter that, as someone who, you know, a huge fan of those, was a huge fan, is a huge fan. I don't know. It's a very complicated. I'm fascinated to see how we both feel watching the Harry Potter and the rewind reviews. Well, but we will come to that when we come to it. I the... I like to think we're going to be quite fair in that sense, though, because I think we both are in a position where we accept cuts will happen as long as they're smart cuts. That don't detract. But that's from what I'm saying, that, and 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 that's what I'm saying. The oh no, I just meant our relationship with Harry Potter as a whole. I think it's going to be mm. a, a, an interesting part of that podcast. The um, you know, there are things they cut that I'm going. That's a shame they've cut that because it adds more complexity. But I understand from a filmmaking perspective why they cut it. It's why Prisoner of Azkaban is also often considered. And I can't wait till we get to that film because I've changed my opinion about that film so much. Because as a huge fan of that book, when I first saw the film, I was like, "This is madness! How can anyone understand it if they haven't read the book?" And when I watched it on a rewatch, I went, mm, "Actually, I, they they made some sensible filmmaking decisions. I can see why it works." Um, and oh, something cool. like Goblet of Fire falls apart a little bit in my memory and. Yeah, so I, you know, I get that temptation to be like, well, no, it's needed for this reason, or, you know, I love that character, I want them there. But, you know, this example that we're talking about here, I think it's a cleaner film that's easier to understand in 13-year-old Chris's mind than than what it is at the moment. Mm. What are your, yeah. what other notes you got before we, uh, before we do a little trivia? Um, let's have a see. I don't think I've got much. Oh, I have got a note about one special effect I did think was really ropey, and it was, uh, unfortunately, Gandalf fighting the Balrog. When they're falling, 
it just looks like Gandalf fell into a video game boss fight and looks bad. <laughs> it just looks really bad. It's a compositing issue again. He looks like he's floating on top of him instead of actually in the scene. It's really awful. One of the the only shot in the whole movie that really did make me go ah, my eyes like awful. But the rest of the movie is all passable. At, you know, at worst and then great at best. So it's fine. But like, yeah, that shot really doesn't look good. It looks fine once he's on the ground and they're separate. But when they're tumbling together. That looks awful. Like, it it looks like they've pasted a picture of, or a footage of Gandalf, you know, on his knees on the floor, and they've just sort of pasted the image on top of a computer game. It's really rough. It's really rough. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, let's see. Anything else? No, I think I covered everything else. Cool. In no, that case, no Dan, let's trim it up. I'm a giver. Some trivia. Now, last week we didn't get to the general ones, but this week we're going to do a couple of general ones. Would you like me? Uh, well, we're all, actually no. Uh, we're only going to do. Uh, we're going to do one specific general one, and then we're going to have a subsection that we've never done before. Okay. So, should we do that before we get to the specific trivia for this movie, or do you want me to say that till after the specific trivia for this movie? No, let's do let's do general and section, and then do trivia for the movie. Well, so the, the the general stuff that's left, I think I'll probably. Well, okay, well, we'll cover this one. So yeah, there's a couple. I'm just trying to. I'm just sorry. I'm just trying to organize it so I know I so I don't do too many. Um, so Peter Jackson gave out one of the rings used in these movies to um, Elijah Wood, and then one to Andy Serkis as a gift when they shot the when they finished the shoot. Both actors thought they had the only one. <laughs> they did not. <laughs> Does it say how they found out that wasn't the case? It, do- it doesn't, but I want that story. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh, uh, that's so good. Um, Despite playing a dwarf, John Reese davis who plays Gimli, is the tallest actor in The Fellowship at 6'1". <laughs> <laughs> Did they do all that with effects then? I guess so, yeah. yeah must be. Very impressive. Clever shooting. Uh, I wouldn't have yeah. known. Um, Sean Austin yeah. gained £30 to play Samwise Gamgee. Incredible uh, commitment. Respect that. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't particularly look like it. He doesn't strike me as particularly big in the film. But yeah, it's cool. No, no, he doesn't. But I, I do think he's tried to give himself like a slightly rounder face because hobbits are generally described as being a little bit rounder, you know, because they eat a lot. Mm. So I think he maybe read that in the books and kind of wanted to try and uh, sort of uh, envision, you know, be be the vision of that, you know, typical hobbit look. I think is maybe what he was going for. It's pretty cool. Um, so, for high-tech tasks, a special computer program called Massive was invented. It made CGI armies of orcs, elves, and humans. Now, each individual creation in the CGI world that's really what this software was making could think and battle independently. They could be programmed to identify friend or foe thanks to individual fields of vision that each individual CGI creation would have. And Jackson's team could even click on a creature in a crowd scene of like 20,000 and see through that being's eyes. They even programmed it so each species had their own unique fighting styles. So what they would basically do in a shot when they were creating their big CGI armies is literally like set you know it's going to be 10,000 orcs 10,000 elves and then they would just do it on camera that's crazy 
Isn't that the most insane thing you've ever heard? Like, that technology, that's remarkable. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, and so, like, even now, that sounds absolutely incredible and remarkable. Do you know what Mm. I mean? Yeah, 100%. So, I've got two very quick more general ones, and then we've got a subsection that I can't wait to get to. I've been looking forward to doing this. So, very quickly, just got two ones based on voices. Very strange. But Ian McKellen apparently based Gandalf's accent on that of uh, Tolkien. Well, that was a nice touch. Wow. Um, I don't know if he must yeah. have had some audio recordings or something that he based it on. Uh, I think that's very nice. Um, it's fun. Um, and Liv Tyler deepened her voice so much to play Arwen that her father, Stephen Tyler, asked her if it had been dubbed in by someone else. <laughs> her own father did not recognise her voice. Yeah, right, but, you know, how, uh, how often is, you know, Stephen Tyler too stoned to... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? To know what day of the week it is. <laughs> to know what day of the week. Yeah, I I reckon I reckon Stephen Tyler was like, oh yeah, no, it was uh, it was really good. I loved the the relationship between the little girl and the and the granddad. Um, and and Liv Tyler's like, what? It, I, that doesn't. Dad, did you did you watch Jersey Girl instead of Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Stephen Tyler's like, oh shit. <laughs> Um, <laughs> don't want to close my eyes just stop stop <laughs> usually I like tag on the jokes but I literally can't think of anything to add to that that's like... no, it was a very it was a it was a very niche joke <laughs> it was so niche that I was just like even I'm out of road here Chris I can't help you <laughs> sorry bud <laughs> um, right I have a subsection of our trivia called Vigo Mortensen absolute beast Right, nice. This is an incredible sequence of trivia, and we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll we'll start here. Viggo Mortensen did his own stunts. He also insisted on using the only, uh, using only a real steel sword instead of a specifically lighter aluminum sword or a safer rubber sword, uh, which usually are manufactured for things like battle scenes and stunts. He kept this sword with him at all times, offset and on. Um, so he could remain in character. He was questioned several times by the police. After reviewing his training <laughs> sessions with the sword and being spotted by members of... Uh, oh, sorry. He was rev- he was questioned several times by the police after being seen training with his sword and being spotted by members of public. Ridiculous. Um, during one take, uh, while filming a scene where he's floating down the river, Viggo Mortensen was uh, dragged underwater by a current for several seconds. He actually managed to kick himself back up off a rock and saved his own life. Um, a safety team then rescued him and took him to shore. Uh, Viggo Mortensen also chipped a tooth while filming a fight sequence. He wanted, Peter, P- he wanted Peter Jackson to just super glue it back on so he could finish the scene, but instead Jackson insisted and took him to a dentist on the lunch break and they had it patched up and he returned to set that afternoon. Viggo Mortensen also broke two toes, kicking the steel helmet of the orc um, off the oak pyre in this movie and that take is the one that appears in the final cut because the only take they got director Peter Jackson said that he was really impressed at the shout of pain that Aragon cried out um, for the fate of the two hobbits only realising later that that was genuine pain because he'd broken his toes um, he was also impressed by the fact that Mortensen just continued acting even with even with the injury um, yeah I mean, yeah, and then he apparently Mortensen le- later remarked that the only reason it was even mentioned um, was because he was an actor and that a stunt crew, you know, would get injured and just push through it. Um, so he didn't think it was particularly impressive. 
I think he's a beast. Um, yeah, ve- I think that is the exact right name for that trivia, my friend. Isn't that incredible? Also, Viggo Mortensen uh, was described by veteran swordmaster Bob Anderson as the best swordsman I've ever trained. <laughs> oh, wow. On top of that, that uh, Viggo Mortensen purchased Arwin's horse, uh, the horse we actually discussed last week after the production, and he gave it to Liv Tyler's riding double, Jane Abbott. So Liv Tyler had a riding double for some of the shots. Aww who obviously got attached to the horse, Viggo Mortensen, purchased the horse and gave it to her, which is lovely. Um, what, a, what an absolute champion. I know, isn't it incredible? And then the final one in my section of Viggo Mortensen, absolute beast, uh, Viggo Mortensen is trilingual in English, Spanish and Danish, and he requested the script be revised to let Aragon speak more lines in Elvish. Yeah, well, I've got so much respect for that, man. That's all awesome. Great. Yeah, um, and, and and having having met him in real life, I'm now sad I didn't know all of that before because I would have asked him about all of those things. <laughs> You'd have tried to get a horse out of him. Like I don't think it would have worked, Dan. Ah, uh, you're right. That you give it worked. a go. You're right. You're right. No, yeah. um, I just think general in general, like I was. It's, but yeah, he's a he's a very impressive man, and I think I would have definitely asked about some of that if I'd have known that stuff before I met him. So it's probably better that we did it this way around. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't know, to be honest. <laughs> I just, you know, just trying to get on with his day, and you're like, hey, you brought that woman a horse? Woohoo! <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, he was, he, was, he was very, very nice, but yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. The uh, Battle at Helm's Deep. Uh, this is, we're just back. We're in general trivia now for this movie. Specific trivia for this movie, I should say. Yep. Uh, the Battle at Helm's Deep was edited down from 20 hours of footage shot over a four-month period with uh, the rain machine constantly battering down the cast. There were so many extras Gee. used in the sequence, and the filming went on for so many months, that almost all the extras and principal cast got T-shirts that read, I survived Helm's Deep. Um, <laughs> there were so many of these people that have been involved in this in the end, that extras would often notice other people wearing those shirts around New Zealand in the cities, and then you know be like, oh, I was there too, <laughs> and chat. Like Apparently that happened a lot of times. With the extras. Do you think there's a world, given, you know, get back, do you think there's a world where at some point Jackson goes, all right, here's the six hour version of Lord of the Rings? God. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I don't know if I would want to see it, though. I, I think these are just right. I think if you push either of these any further, you're, you're in trouble, right? These are, these are yeah, really but that balanced exercise, quite finely. It, yeah, but you know the the Beatles, you know, is is very specifically for huge fans of the Beatles. So yes. I think you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. It's as, not as a kind of like a Disney Plus style experiment, I guess. So yeah, I wouldn't want them to put it in cinemas, yeah. and I certainly wouldn't want them to like make people pay inordinate amounts of money to get access to it on Blu-ray or whatever. I think it should be a, if they do do it, they should put it on like a streaming service, make it easily accessible. I think. Yeah, check it on check it on Disney Plus and uh, let the let the or whatever streaming service and let the fans Amazon mm-hmm. maybe uh, and let the fans go for it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So on the wall of the Helms of Helms Deep during the battle, a one-eyed warrior turns to the camera, revealing his scarred, empty socket. Now the performer who played him was actually an extra that just turned up wearing an eye patch. Peter Jackson noticed and politely asked what was under the eye patch. And then inquired if the gentleman was interested in appearing in the movie without the eye patch. 
Um, the gentleman was reluctant at first and was a little self-conscious about it. But afterwards, um, well, after doing it, he said the experience made him much more comfortable with his condition and uh, a lot less like sort of um, so yeah, self-conscious about it. So that's nice. Oh, that's good. I'm glad yeah. there's like a you know a, a happy ending to that. Yeah, because when I started reading that trivia when I was putting the trivia together, I thought that's a bit shitty of Peter Jackson to have forced this poor guy to put his. <laughs> You know, eye on in front of view, you know, it's such a high profile movie. Um, but when I read the end of the trivia, I was like, yeah, that worked out for the best. Everyone wins. Yeah, certainly, it certainly wouldn't fly now, would it? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you're always welcome to ask someone how comfortable they are with something, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it is true. Yeah, I don't know how you'd get away with it. It's, it's knowing it's real is kind of like interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely, for sure. <laughs> Um, Andy Circus was pitched to the role of Gollum by his agent, who rang him up and asked if he wanted to do a few weeks voiceover work in New Zealand. <laughs> um, however, when Peter Jackson um, sort of did the audition, we were so blown away that he decided to have him literally come in and do the movements for Gollum in a motion capture suit on set. And as a result, Circus ended up doing scenes with Elijah Wood and Sean Austin on set to give them a focal point and... Um, you know, in many occasions he was in shot physically and they just composited Gollum over him in post-production. So he was there for a huge amount of the shoot in the end. Um, and he's sorry. absolutely stunning. Yeah. Yeah, imagine that. You are oh, a couple of weeks worth of voiceover work and then you end up being Gollum. Like, yeah. <laughs> Having yeah. to prance about on your, on your hands yeah. and knees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, credit where credit's due because Cumberbatch did a similar thing to play Smaug. Uh, there's that really, I think, quite iconic footage now of him slithering around the floor of a studio in a in a in a, in a you know one of those motion capture suits, hissing because <laughs> he's playing a dragon. It's quite funny. Um, yeah, it's very good. If anyone's not seen that, uh, check it out. I've not seen the Hobbit movies, but I've seen that clip. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's so good. Yeah, you should watch that clip, even if you don't care about the Hobbit movies. Um, so apparently they weren't able to recruit enough men that are six foot tall to play the Urukai which are like the, the sort of really big um, orcs. So um, men from five foot height were cast as well. Um, and they were affectionately named Uruk Low instead of Uruk High by the crew. So there you go. That's a fun thing. It's fun. <laughs> we're all having good. fun, Chris. It's fun trivia. <laughs> That's very good. I like a good, uh, like a good pun. That was a good one. Yes, it is. Um, oh, I've already mentioned this, but I'll just cover the full details. Uh, the orcs have black blood, so it made sense that their mouth should be uh, dark and not pink. Um, so to achieve this, the orc actors had to swill a licorice-based mouthwash, mouthwash prior to each of their scenes. That sounds gross. Yeah, that's madness. Don't don't like that. Wouldn't want to do that. Um, when Frodo and uh, Sam are in Osgilith, uh, Sam says, by rights, we shouldn't even be here. Which is a nod to the fact that in the books, they do not visit that location. And it's a bit of a, a bit of a deviation from the, the storyline of the book. <laughs> that's a fun nod. Ah, I like that. I think that's, like, that's one of those ones that's like totally like works in the context of the movie. But like, yeah. if you know, you know, kind of thing. You know? Yeah, no, ah. that's fun. I like that. Well, and I don't feel that's like the kind of joke that would alienate, a, you know, someone going, oh, I feel like I should, I'm missing some information for that joke to make sense. No, just just works on its own. It's good. Um, yeah. In the scene where... Agreed. Go on, sorry. No, just saying, completely agreed. Mm. 
Uh, in the sequel, Aragorn has washed up on the shore of the river that he fell into uh, when the warg dragged him off the cliff. Arwen comes to him in a dream to revive him. Now, that dialogue was originally written entirely in English, but Liv Tyler um, was very entranced by the Elvish language, and we've already established that um, Absolute Beast, Viggo Mortensen, wanted the scripts we worked to include as much Elvish as possible. Um, and since both characters and cast members in this case knew how to speak Elvish, um, they talked Peter Jackson into letting them translate the script for that scene um everyone agreed in the end that that turned out way better than how it had been originally planned and i agree it does give the scene a weird sort of ethereal feel mm. yeah i agree oh. yeah elvish is kind of a beautiful language it is a it's, it's a you know there there is you know there is an actual limited dictionary of genuine elvish words that tolkien put together um, so you you know you can genuinely translate something into Elvish, and it actually is Elvish and it's specific. It's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, and actually, Elvish lines spoken in the movies are not just quotes from the book directly. They're often like actually there's like a dialect coach that would use recordings of Tolkien, you know, reading his books to guide like actors and actress pronunciation, and then they would like like actually like translate as much as they could. So that's pretty cool. No, that's that is pretty, pretty cool. cool. Um, so John Rhys Davis, who plays Gimli, had, has genuinely lost the tip of his middle finger in a farm accident when he was younger. So a, a special prosthetic fingertip uh, was made um, from a cast of his right middle finger um, f to be used during this film. So the character had all of his fingers. Now, during shooting, shooting, he decided to pull a prank on Peter Jackson when he cut the tip off his prosthetic finger, which he had filled with fake blood, and then went up to Jackson and said, Boss, I had an accident. <laughs> Do we know how Jackson reacted? Uh, we don't, sadly. I tried to find out. I couldn't get any more details. He's told that story. Jackson hasn't, so we don't really have Jackson's reaction, which is a shame. I would enjoy hearing that. New podcast, Jackson's Reaction. We just get Peter Jackson's reaction to things. That's brilliant. <laughs> On board. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that you mean my brilliant idea for a new podcast and not the, the trivia. Uh, Dan, you live in whatever world you want to live in, mate. <laughs> Yep, that I've is, chosen to uh, live in that. I've, I've chosen to live in the one where what you when you said that's brilliant, you meant the thing I thought of, and not the thing I just read. Yeah. And like I say, you are free to choose to do that. Beautiful. Um, Sean Bean had actually completely finished shooting his scenes and had returned to England when he was asked to return to New Zealand to film this elaborate flashback scene that's in this movie. Unfortunately, the scene was then cut and didn't make it into the theatrical version of the movie at all. Um... So I assume he was at least somewhat relieved to see it end up in the, the extended because he travelled out to New Zealand to shoot it. That scene is weird. Like you said earlier, it really helps that storyline and really makes it worth work. But when it first happens, you are like, oh, okay. Like, you you wanted Sean, Sean Bean in the movie, did you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess why not, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's you know, there's room for Sean Bean anywhere, isn't there, really? I'll take Sean Bean in pretty much any TV or film thing at any time. Yeah. Just put some Sean Bean in. Um, so the um, 10,000 Urukai battle chants from the Helm's Deep sequence were provided by a stadium of 25,000 cricket fans. Um, apparently they showed up and got the fans to chant, chant Derbgu Nashgshu Derbgu Dashgshu which they spelled out phonetically on the the screen that they usually put the scores on at the cricket match. Uh, Peter Jackson kind of led the crowd. So that's how they got the chant. 
The best bit of that trivia is somewhere within the audio is a fan just going, Way, no bed. Or like, just yeah, swearing. Almost certainly. Almost certainly. <laughs> yeah, enjoyed that. Um, John Reese davis also, as well as playing Gimli, provided the voice for Treebeard. Um, and it wasn't... Oh, nice. Um, it wasn't achieved with electronic distortion, but instead by making the actor speak in his naturally booming voice, but then lowering the pitch um, through a wooden megaphone, which is really neat. Yeah, that is cool. And I like the idea they used a wooden megaphone to sort of give it like, the, the, as if the sound was coming through and from wood. I think it works. Works really well. Me like you. Um, in yeah, the cave scene, when... When Faramir lifts the ring from under Rodo's shirt, under Rodo's shirt, under Frodo's shirt with the sword, actor David Wenham, who plays Faramir, was very much scared of accidentally stabbing Elijah Wood. Um, so they actually brought a swordsman in to film the scene because David Wenham didn't trust himself to not murder Elijah Wood. <laughs> um, uh, which is funny because I've heard he's very nice. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, let's see. Oh yeah, this is good. You'll enjoy this. Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan spent so much time up the tree uh, during the making of this movie that they would spend their time between scripts just writing a screenplay together. Um, don't think it ever got <laughs> produced, but that's what happened. Apparently, it was so difficult to get up and down from their perches that they were often just left there during lunch breaks while the rest of the clue- crew went off to eat, and then someone would would be usually kind enough to pass their food up to them so they could eat up in the tree. So did they have like a laptop with them or something, like working on this screenplay? I have honestly, I love the idea that in some of these scenes, you know, just behind Treebeard's ear, someone's tucked in a, a Lenovo laptop, just like <laughs> sliding, <laughs> or, or even better, a typewriter. <laughs> Ding! And Dominic oh, the typewriter got off again. Stop with the typewriter already. Dominic got a hand smoking a cigar. We're writing a movie, kid. <laughs> Get this down. <laughs> Billy Boyd's just, yep, yep. Yeah. I enjoy that. I enjoy that a lot. Um, and as in the last movie, Peter Jackson has a little cameo in this one too. He's wearing chainmail armor at Helm's Deep and he throws a spear at an attacking Urukai. Um, yeah, good fun. So, Chris, last section, everyone's favorite section. It's time for Horses Exist. Boom. There we go. Thank you. So, um, well, specifically this week, uh, we've, got, we've got a couple of bits of trivia relating to horses. So, first of all, instead of being hired out, all of the main horses that are used in this production were actually um, purchased. They, they were bought to allow the chance for them to be on the set and living on the set for months prior to shooting. And it meant that they were sort of used to the comings and goings of the crew and the sounds that would be around them. Uh, made them much more comfortable, apparently, because they were basically... They'd settled in as if it was their home by the time they were shooting it. Uh, they were all obviously rehomed. Afterwards, we know already that one of them was given, uh, was bought by uh, by Absolute Beast, Viggo Mortensen, <laughs> who then gave it to the the the, the, uh, the, the sort of stunt double, riding double for, for Liv Tyler's character. So yeah, they, they, I assume they were all correctly rehomed. Um, apparently, about 200 to 300 horses were used across the trilogy. Um, because most of the horses were involved in like huge battle scenes, so you needed lots of them. Um, but there was a problem with filming those. They were concerned horses might be harmed, because you know you're putting lots of horses close together. Even very talented riders, they might clash. You know, they might bump into each other. There's, there's just there's risks involved. So mm. um, 
what they did was they got a horse and a rider for some of the really big battle scenes. They'd get a horse and a rider, fit them with a sort of modified version of the um, the suit that Andy Circus would wear for Gollum, like with the with the, like the tracking marks on it, and uh, they would just film them in a studio doing battle sort of things, galloping around, rearing up. And then they would just insert the footage digitally into actual battle scenes. Uh, that way, no horses got harmed. Um, nice. So yeah. Uh, so for the, any any time you see horses during battle, they're probably safely in a studio, not with each other. When you see them just sort of riding along into the battle, that's when you've got the hundred, two hundred horses that they actually hired. So like in this movie, the scene when Gandalf comes over the hill, when they're just sort of on the horses and riding. That's them on set riding horses. But once those horses then meet the other army, that's all like specially created footage with the uh, yeah, nice. like a tracking suit and stuff. Um, and apparently, as well, the spears that the riders were holding were made of cardboard tubes, so that they weren't any accidental, like you know, catching the horse, knocking the horse. So they were made out of something very, very. Um, sort of uh, easily broken so it would give rather than dig in or hit and then final piece of horse trivia chris uh the hero horse of this movie brigo which is the the, the horse that saves aragon was a dutch warm blood stallion horses exist cool that's dutch warm blood warm blood stallion um is actually the the name of my band so now I know Ooh. where we where we got it from. I thought you were going to say it's what we should from now on refer to um, Viggo Mortensen as. <laughs> no, I like um, Absolute Beast Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> Absolute Beast Viggo Mortensen. Um, yeah. I'm sticking with that one. I think. Um, yeah, he's, no, uh, he's actually he's the he's the drummer of the band. <laughs> <laughs> he's only the drummer. You've got him in the back. That handsome man just in the back, out the way. Mate. Yeah, yeah, but he's yeah, but imagine it. Imagine Aragon drumming. <laughs> it's a good image. Amazing. It's a good image. <laughs> anyway, so there we go. We did it, everyone. Congratulations to all of us. We've we've done another one. Um I had a really good time. I'm really enjoying rewatching these, more so than I thought I was going to, if I'm being honest. Um Yes, like I, I couldn't I watched the first with Jess, I couldn't she had a work thing uh last night. I had to watch it last night. Um, so watched it on my own and watched it. I said to Dan, I put it on at seven, uh, no, seven forty-five, I think it was, and was gutted to discover that the, uh, the credits were only 20 minutes long. Uh, so I went into, I sat down to watch it going, oh fuck. And really just really enjoyed it. Really had a blast with it. Really enjoyed, um, watching through them. Didn't feel, you know, sometimes watching a film for rewind reviews feels like watching a film for something. Uh, and sometimes it just feels like you're just watching a film. Uh, and I'm pleased to report that these felt like we were so far have felt like we were, you know, watching a film. Um, so mm. that's uh, that's good stuff. I, I can confirm, Dan, that next week we are doing the Return of the Jedi. No, uh, we'll do Return of the King. We've already yeah, done I Return I of the do Jedi. The, the tradition of you actually technically selecting it. It was such a given at this point that I didn't even think about that. But yeah, you're right. You should. We should make you say. <laughs> yeah, because actually, as you've pointed out, it's now determined for the next sort of <laughs> for the next twelve weeks. It's actually determined because obviously, after Lord of the Rings, we're going straight into 
Harry Potter and the Rewind Reviews, uh, where we'll be reviewing the Harry Potter films in order. I think for that, we won't bother with the what are you picking bit. Um, We just Mm. will know what we're doing the week after. Um, So yeah, no, uh, come back next week for Return of the King. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm going into the final. Um, Partly, you know, Frodo and Sam are close to Mordor now. Um, so, you know, part of me is like, how are they, what's the she that Gollum referenced, who's, like mm-hmm. you say, amazing tease for the next film. Um, and how do they, how do they get to that big old fire pit and how do they stretch that out over, over so long? I'm, I'm excited by all of that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, yeah. You know I, I this... want to see Dan. I want to see, I, cause I know the reputation that the final film has of having yeah. like a million endings. Yeah, but I want to see the reunions. Do you know what I want? See? You uh-huh. know what I mean. I want to see Frodo and Sam reunite with Merry and Pippin. I want to see Frodo and Gandalf reunite. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. I want to see Aragon in that strange love triangle. Love love triangle. Like <laughs> all all three of them reunite. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm no, I, I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah, it does have that reputation. I do think there's some truth to that. But I'll be honest with you, I never on my view, early viewings of this, thought that was really much of a valid criticism. It is technically true that the movie does have like a lot of sort of coders, as it were, but I thought they were all pretty much justified. You know, you've even in the theatrical versions, when you've just watched three, you know, two-hour movies, I think you can justify taking some time to wrap things up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. So, but but you know what? Maybe I'll feel differently on the rewatch. Maybe we'll sit down next week, and I will feel like it's too many. I, it's been a long time since I think it's been a fair while since I've seen it. So I don't know exactly how long, but yeah. Um, well, it is. It is by far. I've just checked now, Dan. It is four hours twenty three minutes, and again, only twenty three minutes are credits. So yeah, mm-hmm. it is a full on four hours. So it'll be interesting to see if we do if we do feel that way. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, uh, thanks everyone for listening. You can get us in all the usual places, of course. You can go to patreon.com slash static for as little as $1 a month. You can hear that episode right now because we put them up a week early on the Patreon versus the you know other platforms. So if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, you can get the next week's episode a week early. Uh, that way, you can, of course, talk to us. If you want to comment uh, at the beginning of this episode, I asked many questions of you, dear listeners. You can email us, mail at nothingbutstatic.co.uk You can get us on Twitter, twitter.com slash nothingbutstatic without the G or I'm at Dan Doolan, Chris is at C Billingham, or head over to youtube.com slash nothingbutstaticuk find the video of this, put a comment in that bit this YouTube comment bit thing. That was going very well and then I just, my brain turned off I think I just I just think I think I just did a reboot. <laughs> My brain went uh, system rebooting in five, four, three, two, and I was mid sentence. I was like, no, not now. <laughs> really inconvenient. <laughs> going, no, I thought going... it was good. I thought it was. I thought I thought you did well, my friend. Mm. Thank you. Appreciate it, buddy. You too. Yeah, cheers, man. Cheers. No, seriously, Dan's uh, Dan was working late last night. Uh, he's he's done very well all podcast, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to return next week for the return of the king. My name's Chris Billingham. My name's Dan Doolan. and this review has been rewound.
Still haven't got the my name I've been thing going, have you? Are we still recording? While you I mean, shit am, on but... me. <laughs> I am. Huh? Yeah. Uh, what should what should it be? I can never remember. It's I've been. Yeah, we've only done okay. it for ten years, I've... mate. <laughs> oh yeah, fine. Okay, you want you want to put this slice of our real relationship into the podcast, Dan? <laughs> you want people to see the real bitterness and angst between <laughs> us? Then fine, include it and I'll correct it. I've been Chris Billingham. I've been Dan Doolan. <laughs> and this review has been rewound twice. <laughs>